Leads, leads, leads. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, a show about a place called Leeds, a time called now, and an activity called work. Working Hours wants to record 1,000 lawyers over the course of this, the most important decade in the history of the human species, and ask them about what they do all day and hear how they feel about it. My mission is to try to map out what my city, Leeds, a city that has declared a climate emergency, is doing during humanity's biggest emergency. On working hours, we hear how loiners have, are and will be coping with our multiple crises. The global pandemic, Brexit and of course the ongoing and accelerating collapsing of capitalism, the state and the climate through this decade. To do this I need people, people like you dear listener. Most of all I need people who are in Leeds or who are from Leeds to come on this show and be my guests. So please join me and help me with this mission whenever and however you can. Critically I will need people like you dear listener as financial backers. Please consider supporting or donating to this project. You can do so with a £1 monthly donation via either Patreon or Ko-fi, or you could donate any one-off amount to Working Hours via either Ko-fi or through the LibrePay button on the About page of Western Studios' website. Thank you. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. What did you want to be when you grew up? That is a really tricky question. Uh, so um, I'm from Poland. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in primary school, I have I didn't I didn't even think who I would like to be, you know, in the future. Uh, when I was in the high school, in the first second year, I didn't know anything about that kind of. I didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. But during the second year, uh, I got a job in a construction site. Mm. Uh, and then I started to think maybe the construction uh, area might be quite a good idea. Uh, and the reason why is because you know, I wanted to create something. I wanted to de- design something and to mm. build something. And that pushes me to to learn more about mathematics, physics, and more um, uh, that kind of subjects, topics, uh, and architecture. That mm. allows me to to apply for the for the civil engineering um, university, mm. in Poland, and but you know I didn't know any, I didn't have any idea before I was in second year in my high school, mm-hmm. and then from this time I wanted to join you know or I wanted to start working in the construction industry. Then in the second year of my MPhil degree um, and feel um, at the university I started to think that maybe I would like to get as well some kind of academic um, um, uh, position or academic um, experience and then after my master's degrees uh, in Poland I decided to apply for a PhD mm-hmm. in concrete mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's structure material and I finished my PhD, uh, and since then I'm in academia as a research mm-hmm. research associate or, or research fellow. Mm-hmm. Uh, during my PhD uh, studies, I worked also in the industry uh, from from uh, as a structural engineer and then concrete technologist, 
on-site um, engineer. So I gather the experience both from the academic point, point of view and from practical point of view. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, now when I'm developing now my skills and my uh, my career in academia, those kind of all technical, practical, and um, uh, theoretical background uh, is very useful for mm -hmm. the for my, for my future research. Uh, but yeah, it it involved <laughs> all of the time. Uh, okay. So so I'm not now now a full time structural engineer or or civil engineer in the construction. I don't build things, mm. and now I'm just trying to trying the people or the construction industry to do better to do better job. You're listening to Series 3, Episode 37, and to my guest, Michal Drevniuk. This is another Zoom interview recorded on the 3rd of August, 2022. Hello, loves. Welcome to any new listeners. Nice to have you here. So after this episode, there won't be another one until Friday. I'm going to do what I can to deliver new episodes when and where I can, but I have to just worry about what I can realistically motivate myself to do right now rather than what I think the release schedule should be. When one drops, I'll promote it on the socials. This is a long intro, so let's kick off with it. Mikhail Dreovniok is a research fellow in Transforming Foundation Industries at the University of Leeds. His background is in civil engineering, and he holds a PhD in concrete technology from Silesian University of Technology in Poland. Prior to his current position, he worked as a site engineer and concrete and production technologist at Precast Concrete Manufacture. In 2015, Michal joined the University of Cambridge as a research assistant in material efficiency in construction. Michal was involved in two projects, both centred on making better use of steel in construction. The first explored the barriers to steel reuse and the second was looking at the role of material efficiency in building conception and design in construction. In March 2018, he joined the Structures Group at the University of Cambridge, working on the project Minimising Energy in Construction, exploring the practices of structural engineering that lead to structural inefficiencies. In the years 2019 to 2020, he took on an internship to study the relationship between embodied carbon and different reinforced concrete floor systems, and was involved in two projects, post-construction assessment of embodied carbon for civil engineering building in Cambridge, and barriers to low-carbon concrete technologies in the UK. In 2020, in collaboration with Expedition Engineering, Michal received a Knowledge Transfer Fellowship on climate-compatible decision-making in the construction sector. In 2021, Michal joined the University of Bath as a Research Associate in Efficient Concrete Structures to explore ways to achieve carbon reduction targets in UK construction. Since January 2018, Michel is a main coordinator of the Resource Efficiency in Construction and the Built Environment, a forum for academics, architects, designers, engineers, contractors and policymakers who would like to explore ideas around how the built environment can deliver future energy and material services, while at the same time reducing resource use and environmental impact. In 2021, Michel joined the Low Carbon Concrete Group that in 2022 developed the low carbon concrete route map. Now, when I talk about how there is more happening on climate than we are aware of, Michael jumps out to me here as a great example of this point. If you'll pardon the pun, he is literally doing concrete work on climate change and currently doing that here in Leeds. Doesn't that fill you with civic pride? It shouldn't because it's someone else's achievement. 
Anyway, I feel really lucky to be in a city that has declared a climate emergency and where some serious work has actually begun on coping with this civilization-destroying process. It's not enough yet, but it's there, it's begun, that matters. For me, I will know the real work on climate is being performed in earnest when it's embedded in all social production in the same way that producing CO2 is right now. When I can call up an employment agency and the first thing they offer me is a choice of either a part-time or a full-time role of four days a week, piloting a drone that plants food forests in Bramley rather than having to help airlines, automakers or utility companies to pour gases into the air that poison our lungs and cooks and washes away our societies. Okay, now let's get on with this episode of Working Hours with Mikhail Drevny. So what is your day job then now? So what is, what is it that you do now? I mean, you've so, kind of alluded to it anyway, but, you know, let's just put the question out there and then start with that. Yeah. So, yeah. So currently I'm at the University of Leeds in the School of Civil Engineering and I'm the research fellow in Foundation Industries. Mm-hmm. And that's the project led by University of Cranfield. And currently I'm involved in the work which is related to Foundation Industry focus on cement. So cement is the one of the foundation industries which produces cement, which is mainly used in concrete, which is mainly used in construction. <laughs> so that leads to, to my experience and, and to my research. So currently I'm looking at how we can use less cement or how we can reduce embodied carbon from cement production. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also related to the end use of the cement. So how we can minimize or how we can reduce concrete use in construction, mm-hmm. how we can make our buildings or our, our projects more efficient, how we can use less materials, how we can use those kind of materials more, more efficient, efficiently. And why, why cement and concrete is because of my background. So I'm concrete technologist. My PhD was around concrete. So from my education, I was looking at, and I started looking at concrete. And so that's what I'm doing now. So how we can minimize the impact of cement production and Mm. cement use Mm. in concrete and other materials. So how the hell do you do a PhD in concrete? (laughs) 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 How is there that much to know about it? So so, uh, it's really interesting because we think that we know about concrete almost all. But you know, concrete is some kind of living material. So it's, you can't have exactly the same mix on the construction site. So mm. even if the, if, the, if the mix or the ingredients are very similar, you are not getting exactly the same concrete at all in, 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 your, in your construction site. So because you, know, you are mixing three, four, five different ingredients, mm-hmm. you end up with a different concrete with a different properties with a different properties of, of fresh concrete which is really mm-hmm. important you know from the uh, buildability perspective so how the concrete is placed cast or, or placed in in the, in the on the construction site how it becomes a hardened concrete so how, what are the properties and what durability of the concrete is in the end of the when uh, when the concrete sets so even if we know much about concrete we don't know uh, all of those kind of aspects mm. no, in in this kind of area mm. so it's not like steel so if you have steel mm, you just take iron ore you melt it or uh, and you produce steel and once you produce the steel the steel 
properties didn't change over the time. It can rust, but no, yeah. the rust is not a physical property. No, yeah. uh, it's just changing the shape or changing the the, the, the cross section. Mm. However, in concrete, concrete properties can degrade over the time because mm. of the different exposure of the environment. So if you have rain or you have you no know, chloride or you have water from 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 sea, mm. all influence on the properties of a concrete and depending on the ingredients and depending on on the different types of ingredients, different type of cement aggregates and lots of other things. Mm. It depends on how long it can last <laughs> in the mm. environment when it's placed. And because we we, we use concrete almost everywhere mm. we have to f- know what concrete we should use where mm. and because of almost unlimited variabilities mm. it's very difficult to find the right <laughs> answer so so what is the variables what what are the like i mean is it just like making some kind of cake mix like a yeah. dry cake mix where you're just taking all different minerals and putting them together i mean is there a consistent sort of basis what what's like the eggs and flour of concrete <laughs> okay that's it yeah so in general uh, concrete consists in, with, with three four uh, ingredients ingredients so one of the the, the m- most important is cement or the binder right so a binder is usually cement which which binds all the other ingredients yeah the other is sand which yeah. should be as a filler of the aggregate in the, mm. con- in the concrete. But you know, sand is the small particles. And then we have coarse aggregates, which is larger. And depending on the size of the aggregates, you can create a different properties of concrete, of mm. course. So cement, sand, coarse aggregates, and water. Mm. If you put everything all together, the cement starts to bind all the ingredients together. And from very easy recipe you get artificial rock and the end of the day you know the artificial rock can last depends on the on the durability of of those kind of ingredients and of course or during the time the concrete technology changes Mm. so apart from those four things so cement sand coarse aggregates and water we are starting to add more or other things to Mm. concrete such as supplementary cementitious materials which are, for example, waste from the other industries, mm. such as a granulated ground blast furnace from s- steel production okay. or fly ashes from coal power plants yeah, yeah. to utilize those materials. But of course, adding those materials to concrete, we change the properties, both yeah. fresh and hardened concrete, and we can even extend the durability or increase the durability quite significantly. And of course... Because the chemistry also matters. We we found a way how we can modify fresh concrete and concrete itself by adding different polymers or different chemical additives to for concrete to flow faster or to set earlier or to have much more air in the volume mm-hmm. or that allows concrete to last in the freezing temperatures, in the, mm-hmm. in the low temperatures. So there are lots of different aspects of, of in, in this, this kind of area. But in general, uh, having four ingredients you can create with, a, of course, with a speci- specific you know, proportions, mm. you can uh, create concrete. And concrete itself is well known. Maybe it wasn't, it's 
the material that was used 100, 120, 150 years ago. So, and even even so, the concrete that we know to, today that contains Portland cement is used over the last 150 years. But and of course, we know Roman concrete with a different type of binders, mm-hmm. which was used you know, thousands of years ago. So it mm-hmm. all depends on the binder. Yeah. So I and is. In terms of your binder and your, your cements, are they sort of are, are they generally from readily available materials like abundant materials? Or because I know there's like there's a shortage of sand, isn't there? Like a, a which you know to a lot of people is like what sand? Sand's everywhere, but it's it's like sort of specific kinds of sand, isn't it? So yeah, if, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so so if we can just go back to cement a little bit. So cement, if we like to make it very easy. So the, the, the cement is a burned limestone with a, a different other, other additional ingredients. But you know, we take limestone from the quarry, mm. then we put it into the kiln with a temperature mm. of 1450 degrees, and then we burn it. We are adding a little bit gypsum and we mm. create the it's Portland cement. Mm. And so that's the very natural material. Mm. But, you know, of course, it requires very high heat. Is that where the carbon high... comes in? Yes. Yeah. So so the carbon in cement comes from first from the fuel that requires to, to create that kind of high temperature. Mm-hmm. But that's only half of the problem of cement. Mm. The other problem is that during the... Uh, cement production process the because limestone is contains carbon during the during the, the the cement production process by burning limestone it releases co2 yeah. to the atmosphere so those yeah. are the the uh, process emissions mm. and process emissions itself are approximately 40 to 50 percent of all emissions from cement production mm. so that's that's because of, of those kind of process emissions. This is the the cement production is really hard to decarbonize because the process emissions are we can avoid those kind of process emissions. Yeah. We it's can, kind of like the thing that you have to do in order to get that thing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So so it depends, of course, no the share of the of the CO2 that is from process emissions depends on the fuel that you are using. Uh, if you are using low carbon fuel or or biofuels or other things, you know you can decrease the emissions from fuel itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you are not, you can't avoid, unfortunately, emissions from from decarbonation of of, of limestone, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So that's why the new strategies is to find some kind of new source of of calcium oxide materials that allows you to produce cement without releasing CO2 to the atmosphere. So, so it's so a process of kind of going through, does this material work? Does this material work? Yeah. So, yeah. so, so this area, so we, we find we can, we, we have some technologies that allows you to avoid that kind of emissions. The tricky thing is that Portland cement, which is very high carbon intensive. So Portland mm-hmm. cement is the highest carbon intensive binder from all those of cements because it contains 95% of clean care, which is directly taken from limestone and other ingredients during the, 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 the burning process. And the Portland cement is really popular and it's very 
it's commonly used globally. Mm. Uh, so currently, cement production is uh, globally is approximately 4.2 billion tons mm. per year. So this kind of volume makes that we can't find any other material that can substitute mm. cement in the construction industry. So, so that's why now, even if we have technologies that allows us to produce alternative binders, we cannot currently scale it up for the, for the current demand. Mm. So uh, this is, that is quite a problem in, in general in the construction industry now. So we would need to avoid the emissions. At the same time, we would like to provide the service, which are buildings, uh, which are you know, highways, uh, which are trains, or the all other you know, infrastructure, low carbon infrastructure. But mm. to do that, we have to build those kind of infrastructure projects using concrete. And because of the volume, we cannot find any suitable other materials. For now, we are trying to do that. <laughs> So quite the challenge then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so that's that's the first thing. So about cement and concrete, and you are asking also about the sand, the, the short, yeah. the shortage. Yeah. So we can't use, unfortunately, all the sand. So there are different types of sands that are available. Uh, so you, I think you are familiar with sand from Sahara. Mm-hmm. So you know, everyone claims that oh we can use it for concrete, but no, yeah, it's not good. Shot, it's not unfortunately it's not good because of mm-hmm. the first the shape of the sand is not suitable for concrete, and that this makes that the concrete fresh concrete might not be suitable for the use, or the, the, the and properties of the concrete might mm-hmm. be not, or the concrete itself might not be durable, stable, or, or good, or yeah. yeah. So or maybe inconsistent. Does it make it inconsistent? Or yeah, the consistency as well. Yeah. But m- 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 majorly, no. We we are using for for concrete. We are using river sand, which is mm-hmm. rounded. You know, in Sahara, the 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 uh, or you know, deserts have sand which are which are sharp. Mm-hmm. So so we can't use it for concrete. And of course, no the other issues with with chemical compositions and 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 other you know that might be in the sand also is, a, is an issue so and the shortage yes so if we can imagine sand by weight so concrete so, sorry sand by weight is something like 20 percent so within the concrete 20 percent of the of, of the weight is sand and in the uk itself we we use approximately 80 or 90 million tons of concrete. Mm. So 20% of this is sand. So we in the UK have the sand and we are we have that kind of natural resources. But in other countries, it starts to become a huge issue. And sand in general is really cheap. So it's not profitable to transport it for the long distances mm. more than, you know, 50 miles or something and and because it's cheap the transportation and then the emissions are really really in this kind of conversation in this kind of aspect is really it's how i can say it yeah it, it's not profitable for now just to transport the sand from the distances and of course globally we also can have sand shortage in the end of the day but then of course all it takes is you know a shift in market prices you know if that sand was suddenly worth 
way more on the other side of the world and they were willing to pay for it and you know and the the supply chain then existed for it you would soon find that the shortage shifted or that the price shot up at this end to kind of like no it must stay here yeah so 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 that's also very interesting you know i think because one of the supplementary cementitious materials in concrete is as i as i mentioned ggbs which is granulated ground blast furnace from steel production mm. which is quite commonly used in the uk and the reason why is because it's in the it makes the, the con it makes the properties of concrete are slightly better. The durability mm. is better and mm. workability is better. But at the same time, no, we don't have this material available in the UK. Almost all this material is imported from other countries. Mm. And the price of this material is quite high comparable to, to, to cement itself. Mm. And therefore, even if we don't have it available here, we import it from other, from other countries. Mm. And globally, as as a, as a global commodity, it's rather than be used in other countries mm. because of the price, we can afford to buy it, mm. and we just take it and and we use it. So that's the other aspect. So yeah, the trade itself it's quite important, and yeah, it's it's, it's I don't know exactly how much. GGBS we will have in the future, but you know, shutting down or switching all the steel production, primary steel production you know, routes, we would definitely decrease the amount of GGBS in the industry. And one of the reasons why we use GGBS because the GGBS has lower carbon footprint as well to cement. So we would like to substitute cement with GGBS to minimize the carbon footprint. Mm. But of course, no, if you have, if you use GGBS here, you avoid or you are not allowing the other to use it. <laughs> so, mm. so having the money, we buy it. We benefit, we lower the carbon, but at the mm. same time, no one else can use it because that's a limited resource, mm. uh, waste resource. So. But as well, then there's the, you know, there's the actual carbon cost of the transportation of the materials. So if you're not, you know, if you're shipping those materials around the world to make them, and then obviously you can't because of the high temperatures that you need for cement production, you, you can't just, you know, plonk a cement factory just there you know they have to be in certain places then everything has to be transported and then that's you know it's not light material and it has to be transported via you know diesel and petrol so yeah 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 it's a big challenge so yeah cement plants usually are located near to the quarry where you Mm. can have limestones limestone so so it's not i haven't seen any you know a cement plant very far from the from the quarry and ship shipment or no transportation is it matters but of course no we can calculate you know the carbon footprint of of Mm. transportation Mm. from whatever place in the world so in construction now we are doing that kind of calculations Mm. so so we know what emissions are from you know diesel car you know 24 tons lorry half full or whatever you know and we can we can uh, we can calculate the carbon footprint both from the production side transportation and then construction for example site so so we have standards for that and if we follow the 
standard route of calculations, you can get some kind of values for that. However, there is quite significant uncertainty in values in, in carbon in carbon values itself, because you are not entirely certain what actually emissions were spent to produce something. Mm. So it's all you know, reporting issues and, and statistical issues. But in the end of the day, we can, having the same methodology, having the same you know, values for the having the same you know carbon coefficients for different materials we can compare you know the buildings and, and, and yeah concrete. there's something to benchmark against and you, you know yeah. something to actually work in terms of reduction you can see mm-hmm. you know if that number's getting smaller when you're making changes yeah. yeah so let's go a little bit into your day-to-day uh so you know being being an academic in building and building materials what are you doing largely are you you know sort of doing little studies in the lab and then going out to a building site and seeing how things are working there? Like how are you just spending your time lecturing or is it a mix of everything? Like what do you do on a day to day? So, so it depends in Leeds. Now I'm full-time researcher. So research fellow, which in my full time is just to focus on the research. So mm. uh, desk studies, visiting in the industrial partners, facilities, mm. uh, production sites, collect the data on, for example, my role is Partly, or I'm looking partly on the waste stream in the foundation industries, especially in cement and steel, mm-hmm. and how those kind of waste we can in, use in the other industries. Mm-hmm. So we have X waste from, for example, steel production, mm-hmm. and can we use this waste to close the circularity loop you know, in the other industries? So recycling mm-hmm. or reuse that kind of waste to prevent landfill, those waste in the end of the day. So desk study, visiting in companies, giving presentations. Sometimes I'm asked to, to provide some kind of uh, workshops or, or presentation you know, for the companies. Mm-hmm. Writing papers, writing mm-hmm. reports, and just focus on the project itself and mm-hmm. the meeting the project requirements because every single project that is funded you know, has some kind of plan delivery plan and we need to deliver what we've what we've promised mm. so packages work packages you know are split into the different sections and uh, we, we have to fulfill or fill those kind of all requirements but in general desk study uh, now I'm not involved in in, in lab tests mm. in, when I was uh, during my PhD I spent four, five years in a structural lab mm. mixing concrete so that was you no know, my almost full time job was to mix the concrete, mix mortar and concrete, mm. and cast the concrete in the concrete molds or formwork mm. and find. So were you in like a big warehouse for that, or was it like a, a small room? You're not working with test tubes, obviously, doing that. So like, how was what was the lab like? So yeah, so so in in, in when when I was doing my PhD, the lab was oh, some something like eighty times forty meters. Yeah, times you know nine meters high so it was yeah. huge you know, warehouse with a strong floor that allows us to make uh, structure testing for a mm. few lots of concrete <laughs> yeah and 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 um, my part you know was just to mix concrete and, and cast the concrete into the molds and find what is the, the what are the what is the formwork pressure from self-compacting concrete that's the very that's the concrete that flows very quickly so apart from normal concrete that you know, doesn't flow, you know, we have to vibrate it to release, to, to compact it and to release all the, all, all the air 
that mm. was captured during the mixing process. My PhD was about the slightly newer te- concrete technology, which is self-compacting concrete, which you don't have to compact because it compacts itself. Mm. And I was because it's very it it flows very quickly. We expected that you know on the construction site we would have issues connected with hydrostatic pressure on the formwork. So if you like to cast concrete, you have to have some kind of mold to cast the concrete. Mm. And because you know concrete weight is two and a half or two point four tons per cubic meter, mm. you know uh, the hydrostatic pressure in, at the bottom of the of the form might be very very high. Mm. So my work was to find what exactly the the the, the formwork pressure is. Mm. when you cast self-compacting concrete. So, so, yeah, what's, so what's the hydrostatic pressure? Is that its ability to stay together? The hydrostatic pressure is, is just what is... The, so hydrostatic pressure is the height of the water mm-hmm. that influence on either the ground or yep. the, 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 at the, the side of the formwork. Yep. So, so if you have, for example, one meter high of water, mm-hmm. the hydrostatic pressure is one meter times the density which is one so so the hydrostatic pressure at the bottom is the height of the water times the density right and in concrete case when the concrete flows very quickly we might expect that you know hydrostatic pressure in concrete is one meter of the of height of the concrete times 2.4 tons per per per, per cubic meter which is density mm-hmm. so two and a half times more than than water Okay. But it didn't. So, so I found that it doesn't have that kind of high pressure on the mm. formworks because mm. other. Because is there the an other. explanation for that yet? Is that did you discover why that was, or was that just not as expected? So, so the the self-compacting concrete it flows, but you know it has a it has some the properties so-called thixotropic properties, which mm. makes the concrete when mm. it doesn't move. <laughs> so it, when it moves, it flows. And the, the faster you move the concrete, the concrete mm. faster moves. Mm. If you don't move concrete, it starts to stiff. Mm. And because of this reversible stiffness, because the thixotropic behavior is re- reversible stiffness, it starts to or the, the formwork pressure starts to decrease with stiffness. But of course, that's reversible stiffness. But yeah, thixotropic behavior is the faster you shake, for example, the, the, the material, the mm-hmm. faster it flows. Mm-hmm. And if you don't shake it or if you don't move it, it mm-hmm. starts to make the material starts to be more stiff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I spent you know, a few years in, in, in the lab, massive lab. And then you know, I was doing my in-situ research in, in, on the construction site, on the real construction site, using the same equipment, but with the other model. Mm. And I wanted to, to check whether my assumptions and my research are, first of all, applicable on site, and second of all, whether I'm I was wrong or not, <laughs> and I was I was not wrong. So my laboratory tests was transferable, or I, or the results could be transferable, transferred to to the construction side, and mm. it it worked. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Well, you know, you you got your PhD. So what was it like being on site then, as as an academic? You know, like doing research because 
you know, you think of sort of media about a build site, you, you'll get the architect, you'll get the builders, but you don't really see many academics doing field, field studies. So, yeah, how was uh, that? So, so, because when I was doing my PhD, I wasn't academic yet. So I was mm. doing the PhD, so mm. that's not academic. Um, yeah. However, I, I, I hold the degree from civil engineering and I was supervising the construction site. So I was mm. a supervisor and at the same time I was doing my institute research. So I wasn't mm. a the employee, employer, mm. employee. I was just supervising the construction site. So, mm. so I had... 15 to 20 people. No, I was supervising to 20, 15, 20 people. Mm-hmm. But it was a really good experience because sometimes, you know, when you are looking for some issues or some aspect of construction from the literature point of view, mm. and then when you go on construction site, those kind of issues either are already solved mm. sometimes or are very difficult to solve. Mm. So... So sometimes, you know, it's really important to for academic, for, for academia or for the people who are work with within the academia to go to the real world <laughs> to mm. see how it how it works. Mm. And and it, it yeah, it, it taught me a lot, uh, give give me a lot of information. Uh, so because from the very beginning, you know, of my academic slash construction practice journey, I was structure engineer. Well, I work as a uh, assistant of structure engineer. Then, so I, I was designing the structures, including you know, uh, concrete structures and steel structures. Then I was building those structures. Mm-hmm. So I just managed, mani- maybe not manual, but you know, I know, I knew how to build them, and I have to know how to build them. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the academia where I try to solve those issues that appeared on the construction site and in the, in the design process. So f- physically, you know, I, I knew how it was done. Yeah, so you've I, got I, that holistic view of the whole yeah. process. Yeah. yeah, but it was a really good experience when I was there because at the very beginning, the people who were hired there was quite concerned that the person who is doing the PhD is supervising <laughs> the construction site because they thought that I do not know much about construction site and they were right. <laughs> so, and they told me and they taught me a lot of different things that were very useful. Mm. Uh, and I try not to have any barriers. So, so I try to break all the barriers between them. Mm. And so, so sometimes, you know, I speak, spend all day rather than supervising the construction. So I was supervising construction site, but at the same time, you know, I was doing a steel reinforcement for concrete and they taught me how to do those mm. steel, reinf- steel reinforcement for, for concrete. Mm. Or for example, you know, where, when we had a casting or concrete casting time, or mm. when, when we had a concrete delivery, mm. I just took my wellies and I just <laughs> went them and, and just to do the job with them. Yeah. And they were, they were really surprised, I don't know, someone from the you know, super, supervisor and from the academic mm. or from the, from the yeah, who was doing the PhD was willing to do the work with them. And yeah, get down you know, and dirty. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, to be honest, I respect them very much. And they, I think in the end of the day, they also respect me. <laughs> 
uh, so that's a really really interesting experience yeah but I, unfortunately i wasn't working in the uk i was working in poland so the, the uk i think is slightly different mm. but still I would love to return one day to the construction site. You probably will, yeah. So I'm assuming with the the funding for you, because there's a number of colleges, a number of universities, institutions involved, but a number being more than one. But is it like public-private? Is there private industry finance as well? Uh, What do you mean exactly? So are there... Is anyone from industry, any private industries, are they invested in your funding? Like, do you have to deliver for industry as well as academia? Yeah. So the, the the way how it works, so there are a few funding streams uh, mm-hmm. that you can apply for. Usually you can, you, you, you can apply for the fundings that are from the government. Mm-hmm. And to get them, it's really important to get the engagement or to get some kind of collaboration uh, with the industrial partners. So there are lots of different you know, calls, uh, funding calls and project calls that you can apply for. Some of them are more academic with industrial partners. Some of the calls are more focused on industry with academic collaboration. So that's mm-hmm. the, the other side. But in general, the collaboration is really, really important. And what I found over the last couple of years that more companies are willing to fund PhDs or have fund PhDs, the academia, they are willing to supervise projects, so mm. for example, master's projects. So uh, currently I'm supervising two students with other academic partners. Mm. You know, in this kind of case, so if you have master's degrees or master projects or PhD projects, collaboration with the industry accelerate your work. Yeah. Because, you know, the industrial partners provide you information as how it really works yeah and then you are just making a research how you can improve that or how we can find something new or how you make some kind of innovations yeah. and then if you have you know industrial partner on board mm. the ideas could be very quickly implemented in the, the industrial sectors mm. so so that's so in especially in the construction industry i found it very quite maybe not common but you know the industrial partner starts to be much more visible, you know, in the in mm. projects and, and as a collaborators. So the, the project that, that I'm involved in, so transforming foundation industries, we have, I don't want to make any mistake in that, but I think <laughs> we have something 80 industrial partners wow. yeah. across five foundation industries. So, mm. so metals, cement, plastics, glass, and ceramics, and I think that's, and the chemicals. So six, mm. five, six, six. So, so that's a quite, quite a lot. But you know, they know that they can, they will benefit from collaboration with us, mm. and vice versa. So, mm. we know that we can benefit from them if mm. we collaborate. So, it, it, it's really, it's really good to have that kind of collaboration. Okay, so I'm going to move on to the questions now because I think we've got a good sense of what you're doing. So. Yeah, so I'll start off with the COVID question. So I want to take you back to sort of just before lockdown and thinking about when you were told to lock down, if you were told to lock down, if you were, you know, because obviously, well, I don't know if building work was going on. There was still some construction work on. But anyway, if you can take us through sort of going into lockdown, whether it increased your, were you working more, working less? Hmm. And has it changed your work now? 
Yeah, so when COVID started, I worked at the University of Cambridge on two of, of the projects. And I was just asked, so when all buildings were shut down, you know, I just started working in my apartment, in my, mm. in my house. And to be honest, I worked, worked more. Sometimes I was much more efficient, faster. Mm. I wasn't disturbed by meetings for example but you know during the during the time you know i was quite tired you know of of, of sitting you know uh, alone you know by the computer mm. and having the teams meetings but at the same time you know avoiding travels and you know mm. avoiding travels saved me a lot of time that i could spend you know for example even during the lockdown so i have a dog so i had to walk mm. <laughs> with the dog <laughs> So, so I had a required noise. So, so I was working at home. I worked mm. at home long hours. Mm. And to be honest, it, it didn't change much, mm. except that my desk was at my second bedroom. <laughs> yeah, it, cha- it changed what your... I, I mean, do you mainly work on a laptop or are you yeah, on PC? Mainly. Yeah, that's what I was laptop. thinking. So is it just where your laptop was placed, really? <laughs> exactly. So I always I have a, a, a second screen and you know some kind of very good working environment. So 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 it didn't change except you know I didn't attend as many meetings as previously. Mm. I didn't travel a lot. I didn't travel at all. And we just we could just focus on the one thing at the time rather than. A plenty of different things you know mm. at the same time you know because if you reduce the meetings you're not having plenty of other thoughts mm. and the ideas of course that's really really important but at the same time you know if you have plenty of thoughts you cannot focus on one thing mm. so and if you're me, thinking about one thing too much for too long especially if you get stuck on it you, you know you need yeah. that break to kind of come back with fresh eyes and, yes yeah. yeah so were you in terms of work-life balance during that time you said you were kind of working more at that point did you did you manage to kind of overall did you just work more like throw yourself into more work or did you kind of balance it out a bit no i, I tried to balance my, yeah. my, my my life so it was diffi- more difficult because you no know, you didn't have to you know get to the office you need to yeah. go to the office you, you had to, you didn't have to you know, go to the meetings you just have to I just had to you know, wake up, you know, and start work. Eat something, start work, working, mm. and and uh, it requires from me to control <laughs> myself, mm. you know, mm. in the way I know there's eight hours, oh, eight hours or nine hours. I need to stop <laughs> my yeah. work. And uh, during the COVID, you know, I bought a rolling machine. Oh, nice! <laughs> so, so I had a rolling machine, you know, in my garden. So every day rowing and walking with a dog and, and, and spending time with my partner. So, mm. so yeah, I had to, in the end of the day, I had to find a balance in this kind of situation, and and I found it, I think. Mm. And now compared, to, so so the COVID, so now I think academia as well take some kind of lessons from COVID. So. Mm reduce meetings, reduce the travels, reduce the things or flexible working arrangements. So so in general today I'm at the office, but you know my supervisor say, you know, you can work whatever you like. I'm not insisting you to sit in the office. Yeah, nine that's to why, five, yeah. Yeah, and that's why the office now is, is empty. You know, I'm the only one in the mm. office now. But to be honest, I like working from the office. And that's 
slightly different, you know, that it was, you know, a year ago that I had to stay at home. But yeah, it was it was a really interesting experience, to be honest. But we can learn from that, to be honest. And, 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 uh, and we can find that some of things that were pre-COVID world mm. are not necessarily important or are not necessarily needed mm. <laughs> for us to live. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think it's, I don't think the, the full effects of it have played out yet. I think that's, you know, it, it, it was such a change for a lot of people that it's, you know, that's going to have an effect that we haven't, or maybe we are feeling now, you know, maybe a lot of the, the sort of what they're calling the cost of living crisis is some of the fallout from lockdown and from people yeah. reacting to that and wanting different things and seeing different things. Yeah. What, what is quite surprising, maybe it's not surprising, I was expecting that, so, that when we, we were, so no, when COVID, COVID didn't finish, so so it's still, mm. it still still runs. So it's when, still there. when we said that it had <laughs> gone away, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was really shocked that people start to travel again and just to were mm. so I don't know if there's an expression in English so thirsty of travels uh, and you know they just caught all the flights and and they just flew everywhere mm. and I said why mm. it's it's not very i think for me it's not very important you know just to fly yeah somewhere to go somewhere yeah for no, like i have to every year <laughs> yeah so 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 the, the, this year we spent a holiday in scotland nice. uh, and it was snow we <laughs> we <laughs> we had a, a very nice time so we um, we yeah, rent the former boothie because you know the the mountaineering uh, association mm. had boothies in, in scotland right yeah and yeah. and some of them because of the damages some of them were closed and mm. you can you can hire them mm. you can rent them for for you know, very in general very cheap and we 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 rent one former boothie and we spent there one one week without electricity without any you know cell phone or service without <laughs> Without running water, without but the place was on a beach in the end yeah. of the nowhere, yeah. and to get there you had to hike two and a half hours. Yeah. So you were off the grid for one week, and it was so nice. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean that sounds like a nightmare to a lot of people, but you know a lot of other people it's like, oh god, that sounds perfect. Yeah, so <laughs> so, so it, it was really cheap, you know, and it meets all the requirements, you know, and and you know. I, we could switch our brains totally off, you know, just to focus on the very important thing. So it's mm. called how you can get, you know, the warm in the, yeah. in, in those, <laughs> how you can get, you know, the the, the wood for a yeah. fireplace or something. Those kind of issues were very yeah. important. Not not yeah. how many beers today I can drink. So <laughs> so so it was really really nice. And you know, when when I see that kind of again, you know, this so. The, travels and you know uh, traveling and, and you know the, the the planes plane travels are related to the carbon emissions and everything mm. else that's the other aspect of course mm. it's totally crazy you know how many people without any i'm not i don't want to say uh, without any reason because there is a reason that they travel 
because they need it. It's a desire, that mm. kind of travels. But whether so many times is so needed. <laughs> yeah, well, you could argue as well that it's a manufactured desire. You know, it's largely through advertising and... I, I I definitely agree with you. Yeah. Mm. So so uh, so yeah. But but no, that's that wasn't the topic mm. of today's conversation. Okay. So I'm going to move on. Let's let's do the climate change question because it's it's come up a fair bit already. So the question normally is, how can you in your work adapt to or change or respond to climate change? Obviously, your work is directly sort of involved in responding to climate change yeah so i mean what what is the approach is it just reduce carbon or is it like how are you are you just trying to find new ways in like what what is the sort of how is climate change designed into your research yeah it's really important i think is the one of the main goal to reduce the climate change and, and and to reduce the emissions so and behind this kind of topic there are lots of different things behind mm. this topic so from the construction point of view 45 percent of global co2 emissions are related to construction 45 percent in total as far as i remember 15 percent of annual carbon emissions are related to materials that mm. goes to buildings and infrastructure. Mm. So 15%, it's really massive. The, the remaining 30% is from building operations, so lighting, cooling, heating, mm. you know, cooking, everything which is related to, 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 to running the, the, mm. the, the buildings. So it, it's quite significant. So you know, 40, 45, almost 50% 50, 50 yeah. of all the emissions mm. are related to those kind of, to living mm. <laughs> and to building. Mm. So my part, you know, in general, in my research is how we can reduce the materials that goes to the construction, for example. So 8%, 7 to 8% is concrete itself. Mm. So almost one-tenth of the global carbon dioxide emissions are from manufacturing of concrete and use of concrete. So this is the volume, the scale of this. So even reduction by 5% from this 8% global emissions makes a huge difference. And of course, you know, when we when we start or we already started to decarbonize the electricity grid or to change you know, energy production to lower carbon sources or you know, to renewables, the share of the carbon dioxide or in general greenhouse gas emissions will increase in favor of materials that we need to produce mm. because you know if electricity if we produce electricity from solar power solar power plants or or, or, or wind power plants you know we will decrease the, the the share of the of those emissions in a global scale mm. but we cannot avoid you know the emissions from for example concrete production so process emissions the share will increase so so there is a topic you know there is a huge you know area of what first of all what we can do to minimize or to lower the carbon footprint from materials mm. in my part in my research in construction so there's a lot of different questions that we should ask ourselves and ask the government and ask everywhere mm. first of all do we need 
so many stuff <laughs> do we need to build buildings mm. do we need to build you know infrastructure projects do we need do we need this those kind mm. of things mm. one of the answer might be oh construction is responsible for seven percent in the uk of gdp mm. so we need to have construction projects to increase gdp and and, to and give and, people work <laughs> give people work yeah but on the other side yeah what is the most important so so uk has a legislation that with a goal and goal 2050 to become net zero carbon country and how we can do that if we don't cut the use or the construction whatever it is you now in the, in the mm-hmm. construction industry what so so that's that's the first aspect you no know. do we need so many stuff do we what do we need do we need so many things mm-hmm buildings covid you no know, taught us a very good lesson so half of the office space is not used mm-hmm. why we can't use them for for mm. other purposes for example mm. or why we are building new ones <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah why uh, why are we building more of something that is there that's not being used exactly exactly mm. so the other aspect that I'm, I'm working also is do we need so many domestic buildings do we, do we need so many dwellings so according to my my, my estimations now approximately four percent of all the domestic building stock in the uk mm. is empty and we have something like, if i'm not mistaken we have something like 25 million of dwellings so 4% of this is something like 700,000. I've looked at the statistics of homeless people in the UK and, and uh, I've came across with a number of something like 350,000 people are homeless in the UK. Mm-hmm. So from the very short calculations, you can find that having 750,000 empty buildings, we can give two properties to the homeless mm-hmm. people. And then you could add on top of that number of homeless, you know, sort of younger people or hidden homeless people, yeah. you know, like people that can't afford to buy yet. If, and obviously there's all sorts of market related reasons to that, but I mean, there's, you know, in terms of distribution of people. So it's no good if everyone who wants a house is in London, but all the empty houses are in the middle of, you know, some yeah. mountain. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but you know, uh, at the same time, you know, having, you know, the lessons from COVID, you know, do, yeah, you, do, you, really, do, do you really need to live in London? Mm. I would, I would love to, for example, from my perspective, I would love to, you know, live in, in the end of the, uh, nowhere in Scotland, for example, or, mm. or you know, in Aberdeenshire, mm. and just to work remote. And I have plenty of, maybe not plenty, I know at least four people who work in London, but mm. they live in deep north. So so it's not a problem now. We can sort it out. Now. We don't have to be in the office every day, I think, to, to, to make our work done. So, so that's the first aspect. So apart from the material production side, so one of the, of the ideas is how we can reduce the emissions from material production. Mm-hmm. So in, in construction, we have three main structural materials, which is concrete, steel, uh, and timber. Mm-hmm. So we learned how to produce sustainable timber or how we can produce timber in a sustainable way. Yeah, 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 yeah. We know how to, to, to produce steel from steel scrap, so mm-hmm. secondary steel production. However, the tricky point is that the current demand, so the volume of the steel that is required every year, mm. cannot be 
sourced from steel scrap because we don't have this this huge amount of scrap available. Yeah, because so it's all have, been used. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, we can't we can't produce all this new steel from the from the from the steel scrap mm. because the steel scrap is unavailable for that kind of huge volume of new steel. Mm. And at the same time, you know, with the concrete, we don't have any alternative alternative of the concrete. Mm. So so that's why you know uh, uh, the reduction of 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 the emissions of cement and concrete, you know, by introducing new binders, replacing, you know, fuels to mm. the lower carbon fuels. That's the one way. But, you know, if we don't get rid of volume of the materials, mm. we cannot get the reductions. So you're almost saying that, you know, growth and demand is the problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, so so it's it's maybe not it's yes and a no. So one of the paper that I've submitted three weeks two weeks ago was about what if by twenty thirty five we stop building any buildings domestic mm. buildings in the UK. So no, I just make some kind of assumptions and I make some kind of modeling. If by twenty thirty five we stop building any detached houses, bungalows, you know, uh, flats and everything else. In 2050, we will have exactly the same floor area per capita than today. Hmm. So the floor area per capita will increase by 2035, but from 20, 2035, because of the increase in population, we will have exactly the same floor area per capita. Hmm. I'm not entirely sure whether it's possible to convince everyone to on that kind of small space and the reason why is because the, unfortunately we are created or the humans are created in the way that we would like to have more much more have faster greater you know shinier things <laughs> we would mm-hmm. like to have you know iphones every year because of the of the new you know design or whatever we would like to have larger garden we would like to have Mm. better car and i think that's more it's not the technological issue it's more like you know thinking issue Mm. Uh, yeah like train of thought yeah like what what, because ultimately what do you want that for exactly it's like well what does that actually give you you know does that soothe your soul or is it you know like there's a certain level it's like that thing with the Maslow of well, we'll we'll go on yeah. to UBI. Yeah. Yes. So I'll I'll go on. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. So, so because I moved a little bit, you know, uh, from the topic. So in general, in the construction, how we can minimize or how we can reduce the emissions from materials, mm. but how we can use materials much better. But on the, at the very beginning, how we can reduce and avoid buildings or mm. avoid constructing things. It is quite important. One of our study also, and, and in my group, there are two or three papers on that as well. So in the building, usually you are not using, so from the structure point of view, mm-hmm. so you know the columns and slabs, roof, the buildings that we were looking at were massively over-designed, mm-hmm. which means that 25 to 35% of materials in the structure were not util- utilized, so were not used. 
mm. and you're wasted. So if you just take 25 or 30% of this material from the building, this building will meet all the code regulations or code specifications or mm. all the building requirements, everything. Some of the study even say that 50% of the material is not used in the buildings. Mm. So it means that having the building, you could build two the same size buildings because you could split the material by half. No, and, 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 and it's more from the, it's more the issue of design specification and, and, cons and, and yeah, in general, over design of the, of the structure and not using very efficient systems. So, so it's kind of like, you know, the, the bits that are there for the aesthetic are purely aesthetic. Yeah. So for example, or for example, you know, functional. Or, for example, you know, open space with a long span, with a long, you know, between columns. Mm. The, the longer the span you have, the higher carbon intensity of the square meter you have. Mm. So, so in general, the shorter span, the better. So, the shorter, if you decrease the the, the span by one meter from seven and a half, for example, mm. to six and a half meter, which, mm. which is quite large as well. Still, you could save 20% of embedded carbon per mm. square meter of the building, mm. just shortening the span. But of course- Because it's a, carrying more weight and because it's sort of, I guess, yeah, yeah it's, it's holding up more weight and therefore it needs to be stronger and or bigger yeah. to, to, yeah. to carry so, that more so, weight. So, so, so in general, the longer the span you have, the deeper the slab you, you will have to have. Mm -hmm. So, so, and, and it's exponential. It, it's not, you know, uh, so yeah, for it's example, not like you know, a linear thing. It's, it's not linear. You know, it just doubles and doubles. Yeah. 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 So, so, so that's, that's, that, that's the thing. And at the end, so how we avoid, how we can reduce carbon emissions and making the, the structure more efficient, structure efficient. And I think, you know, defining innovations in construction. So, what other materials we can use for the construction purposes. Mm. Now, you know, we are trying to look, you know, to step back a little bit, you know, and, and try to use much more natural materials, such as, you know, ram earth or, or timber or, for example, stone. Mm. So one of the strategies is to step back and just to look what was used, you know, a, a couple of decades before and just to find a way how we can avoid using the raw materials to produce with a high energy intensive processes, the materials that we are using now. Mm. Does it make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. 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 So, so yes. So, so, so our work in general, it's, it's, it's really, really important because of the volume, volume matters. And there's so many aspects and construction industry is so fragmented that it's really hard to, get one solution mm -hmm. we can there are plenty of different solutions and we have to apply different solutions for the different actors of the supply chain mm -hmm. to get the final i know carbon reduction but the, on, the only way ultimately you can influence that i mean even if you you know you produce a shit hot paper that tells you everything you know that like unless there's a financial incentive or a regulatory incentive to make such changes. I mean, obviously there's a existential <laughs> need to, yeah. but unless, you know, within the reality of, of humans doing their thing, 
unless there's a money reason to do it or a legal reason to do it, it's not going to happen. Yeah, legislation is a one one very important uh, important aspect. So more and more, I can see in the different countries and as well in London, for example, the if you like to get the planning permission to build buildings or you know, very high rise buildings, you would need to make the carbon whole life carbon assessment. Mm which you know gives you some kind of idea what the carbon footprint of the building would be like mm. so one of the of the part of the planning permission of planning application is to prove that your building is not very high carbon intensive according mm. to a benchmark or something of course now we are at the very beginning of this journey so we are creating the benchmarks now we are we are trying to find the, the best way of making the carbon calculations but you know it started mm. it started and, and it, it's really good and, and sometimes you cannot you, you cannot get the permissions if you have very high carbon intensive building there was one case, I don't want to name it, the case in London, but no, it was rejected because of the, the use of quite significant amount of materials. And materials are re- directly related to carbon, and therefore the permission wasn't given. Mm. So it happens, and mm-hmm. legislation started to, to be a quite good driver. There is lots of consultancy between the academia, industry, and government on how we can accelerate changes how mm. we can make the transformation changes you know in the mm. construction and other sectors mm. so it happens and it, it it wasn't so it wasn't so rapid four five six years ago now yeah it's, it became, it's like scaling up fast yeah it is really really fast now yeah. so so legislation yes construction supply chain and changing the behavior Yes, mm. definitely financial incentives. Mm. Yes, because that's related. And yeah, so so those kind of aspects, but uh, those kind of aspects are really difficult to investigate or maybe not investigate, but to suggest some changes. Mm. But you know, we are getting there. I'm I'm really you know, positive, you know, in this kind of area. Yeah, I was going to say, do you feel positive because you're kind of like taking action and you're seeing some progress, or is it just really frustrating and you're kind of like, we need to be doing more faster? Like, does it? I mean, it obviously helps to be working on something where you can see changes happening. So, so, so in in the area that I'm working on, so I'm I'm involved in some work with with the Institution of Structural Engineers in the UK, mm-hmm. as well as institu- Institution of Civil Engineers mm-hmm. and other institutions for uh, the Concrete Center, which is Trade Association, mm-hmm. or, or Mineral Product Association, which is also a trade body for, for, for mineral, associ- mineral products. And yes, they do a really great job. They publish the guidelines mm-hmm. or the, the reports on how from the client, or the user or the structure engineer or civil engineer perspective, we mm. can reduce the emissions, mm. how we can avoid wastes in each stage of the construction process mm. or th- those kind of things. So it, it's, in the construction industry, it's, it's over the last two or three years, it moved very quickly and, mm. and there, are res- there are results. They were published a few reports or few roadmaps Mm. that gives you some kind of ideas what we should do mm. to minimize the embodied carbon of 
for example, concrete, mm. and when it should be done to reach the target, for example, mm. what we should develop to get there, who should be responsible for what. So, so it, mm. it, it, it starts to happen. Yeah, and, and it, it's, it starts to be really, really quickly. Mm. Sometimes the, 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 the speed, sometimes in some cases, the speed is not related with the quality. Mm-hmm. But in the end of the day, it's better to do something and then revise something uh, yeah. than do nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you've got to try different things to see what the what the results are. You might stumble across something that's that that you never thought of. You know. Yeah. So uh, and the, the collab- collaborative work it's in the construction industry starts to be very extremely visible. Mm. So I was involved in so-called low carbon concrete roadmap in the UK that was published in April this year. Mm. And that was collaborative work with structure engineers, architects, uh, clients, academia, contractors. And so all the people who are engaged or who are involved in the construction process. Mm. And it was quite unusual to gather those people. Mm. You know, five years ago, it was five or eight years ago, it was quite unusual to gather those people in, around the round table and, and just to publish or to accept or to agree on some kind of strategies. Mm-hmm. Now it starts to happen mm-hmm. and, and the big players are really aware of those kind of issues to, 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 to do the right work. Well, it's that it's that sort of peer pressure effect. I mean, you know, but at a business level, you know, the competitive element of well, if they find out something that we need to know or they're ahead of us on a curve, well, we, we don't want to be playing catch-up. We want to be there involved in the conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's, that's the one thing. The, the second thing now that's now is a, some, some sort of race. Who mm. can get the lower carbon? Who can mm. get the zero carbon buildings? If that kind of reports are in collaboration with others, the solutions are much more possible yeah like more realistic because yeah yeah. because if people aren't buying into it it's yeah it's not going to work again it's that same problem of just one individual actor or one company or one way of doing it i wanted to go back as well because i know you highlighted this but you know it it occurred to me as well the fact that they are putting these benchmark measurements on because once you start to see those metrics and those measurements on paper and how big they are and how much effect you can actually have with easy wins, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It, it does make a difference because it's like, oh, because you can see the problem then. It's yeah. rather than it being, you know, completely abstract. It's something that you can visualize. Yeah. So, so, so it's, it's really important, I think. And I'm, I'm trying to, I try to tell, you know, students that kind of understanding of, of, of measurement of mm. metrics or, or the, what, what exactly one kilo of carbon dioxide means. So you know, last this year, I had a lecture in, in the University of Bath because I was hired because I moved to the University of, of Leeds recently mm. in, in April before mm. I, was, I was at the University of Bath. And before that, I, I was at the University of Cambridge. Uh, when I was in Bath, I had a great opportunity to, to give the lecture to students. Mm-hmm. And it was 15th of December, mm-hmm. just before Christmas break. And, and the topic was lowering the carbon, embodied carbon in, in, in concrete mm-hmm. structures. And I gave a really good example. 
I, I think you are aware or you know the building in the in in London, which is the Shard. Mm-hmm. So, so the carbon intensity of the structure of the Shard is approximately one ton of carbon dioxide. Every single square meter is a one ton, so one thousand kilograms of CO two. Mm. And this is the equivalent. So, if you like to describe it, how much is that? Mm. So, this is the equivalent of journey with an average. 2019 UK car mm. from Bath to Bethlehem for a Christmas break and mm. return. So yeah, so that's the one one ton one ton of CO2 emissions. Mm. So that's the one. I don't remember the color, how many kilometers is that, but no, that's the equivalent. So the journey, ah. yeah, <laughs> journey. Yeah. I was I was doing I was doing my the calculations yesterday. How much using my car is to so what is the carbon cost of getting with my car from Leeds to Poland where I live mm. and return. And it turns out it's 450 kilograms of carbon dioxide, mm. which is the equivalent of approximately two cubic meter of concrete. Mm. <laughs> so, so, so those kind of, you know, it, it's really important to, you know, to realize the ab- scale, be, yeah. ab- be able to visualize it. Uh, yeah. and, and I like that kind of comparisons because <laughs> that gives you some kind of, you know, idea what we, you know, how we understand that. Uh, and then we can, you know, just, just feel if you, if someone tells you what the carbon density of this or this or the journey to, from London to, for example, Boston, which is, I think, one ton mm. of, of carbon dioxide. So, so the, as far as I remember, I think when I flew to, to Boston four, four years ago, I, on the ticket, I think I had one, something like 1,400 kilograms of CO2, mm-hmm. which is the equivalent of, or it's 40% more than one square meter of the shard. <laughs> so, so those kind of, uh, you know, uh, informations are also very important, you know, just to, just to realize. And, and I can do the, that kind of comparison all the time because it's, <laughs> they're really, really interesting. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to move on to another question. I'm going to go with the UBI question to start. So if there was a universal basic income, would you still be doing what you do? And if you would still be doing what you do, would you be doing it the same way? So so, uh, the the first question, IBU is the... So uh, universal basic income. So if you were given like a state income, like a set amount that was enough to live on. So basically you're... Yeah. Your hierarchy of needs is met. How would that change your work? Would you still work? And if you would, would you stay in this work? And yes. if you would, would that change? <laughs> so I will be very happy. Yes. So I, I was, I was, I was thinking about it. So definitely, if there is a chance to have that kind of scheme, I will be very happy. At the same time, I would, I could work half or wait, maybe a third of the time, mm. but developing much more impactful ideas so i'm not sure if i would if i would you know make that, that kind of desk study all the time but i you know i would mm-hmm. like to first of all focus on the things that i would like to develop because mm-hmm. now i'm because i'm the research associate or research fellow i'm linked to the projects that i need to work on which sometimes it doesn't allow me to develop my own ideas because mm-hmm. there is a lag, lag time so, so if I have a time, 
I would develop my own ideas and then I would definitely go for that kind of this kind of route. I would love to spend some time to teach students or to teach people uh, to, to teach to teach in general uh, because I really like teaching. Uh, really like you know the knowledge and 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 uh, be useful and and showing that kind of things that we've, we've talked yeah. about you know, it's no course. good knowing stuff if you can't tell people the stuff it's yeah. like well exactly. i need to share this <laughs> yeah so, so i really like uh, one time when i was traveling to brussels with one of the sustainable directors from one of the construction companies uh, we had a two and a half hours trip from from london and I was talking about concrete all the all the way, you know, two and a half hours. <laughs> and he said to me after after the, the journey, he said that he had never ever met the person who talked about concrete in a so passionate way and in so simple way. So which means that you no, know, it's it just so he was so very interested in this kind of topic. And I still mm-hmm. make the collaboration with him, so I'm mm-hmm. still in contact with him. So I, I really like you know just to try to. If I'm at that kind of scheme, I would, I would not sit in the, in my house and do mm. nothing. I would mm. just lo- I love to. I would love to do some uh, useful things, mm. which means uh, changing, you know, the the, the 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 teaching or teaching of students, or mm. definitely develop the ideas. And then I would I would not be because you no, know, when you work, you know, you are always under some pressure. Mm-hmm. I know lower or higher, but I know in general, it, I would I could you know get rid of all the that kind of pressure. Yeah, you don't have to worry about a contract when the contract ends, or I've yeah. got to move here. You know, yeah. And if you did, if you were remote working, you could just yeah. stay in the one shed in Scotland and work in every university whenever you needed to. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so, so uh, def- I, I, definitely, I would not waste my time. <laughs> <laughs> no, by the way. With wasting the time, you know, if if you get a rest, it's not wasting your time. You are just yeah. getting rest. Yeah. So, you know, uh, wasting the time is, you know, it's, I don't know if, even how I can describe wasting the time. Never mind. Wasting the time. I think dead time is when it's, it's when you're too exhausted or when you're overextended or overstressed. It's that you're, you're not producing good work then yes i don't think yes you know you need to you don't always need to be like happy and in a perfect mood you know you can be a bit grumpy and like have a groggy day but there's a difference between that and being you know ragged and burnt out and yeah you know really stressed about life and you have to try and focus on a what on a job when you've got all that in your head it's you know it's making that easier, I think. So, so that's why you know I started to think about you know launching my own company you know a couple of years ago, mm. and that might allowed me to do that kind of mm. work. However, you know I will have all the time you know in mind that you know I have to earn the money to you know to to cover my you know my needs and and uh, do everything for the business as well, and and you exactly. know and get the people in and look after people and <laughs> yeah market and it's yeah so but, uh, i mean when you're ready when you're ready and you've got the idea and you've got the passion for it you you, you do it if you're going to do it yeah yeah but you know the, the short answer you know for, for this question is definitely i would like to still develop the ideas that i work on and teach students how they can implement those kind of research and that's that kind of thinking mm. in the construction in the industry you know in the 
in further disseminate those kind of bindings because I think that that that's the change. So if we just disseminate and if we talk to people and if we, it's not about convincing the people, but to show. Yeah, the, give them the information. Give them the information. Yeah, because we are in the so I don't know the expression, but you know we 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 are so we have so many informations around. Mm. From the social medias, from 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 emails, from news, from everything else, we can't focus. Oh, we might find those informations are not true or yeah. mislead. So it's so, like the common wisdom, you know, the the, yeah. the the public perception of what the public perceives to be perceived. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, which uh, is generally wrong. And then if people had the actual information. And they could make their own decisions either way politically, but it's like if you actually had the real information of what's happening, yeah. you could make yeah. better decisions. Exactly, exactly. So, so there's miscommunication definitely, and 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 the the the, the quality of the information sometimes is not very good. So, mm. so having you know that kind of, I'm not saying that I have huge experience now in this kind of field, mm. but you know, I have some experience. So maybe more than average, average. Mm. So, so if there is a chance to get that kind of scheme, I would definitely would like to. I would definitely like to teach, disseminate, talk, and find you know what, and try to. If I find something wrong, so now you know when I'm reading lots of different papers and lots of different you know, article news about different things, there are so many mistakes. There are so many misleading informations mm. and i'm trying to contact to the to the editor just to mm. say oh that's wrong no you can't you have to change it you know and i've done it a few times you know to the different you know associations to different uh, you know journal not journals but magazines but i think that leads quite nicely into what i'm going to cover next so social media so i ask about this because we call it social media i'm mm -hmm. starting to call it work media because it's more and more part of our lives more and more of us have to do it as part of our job whether we're appearing i mean you're appearing in a podcast now mm -hmm. uh, so how much social media is there in your work? How much do you have to do? And is the time that you spend doing social media work a good use of your time? Does that bring, like, do you have to do it to find investors and does it bring investors in or how does, how does social media work for you? So now currently I'm using only one, only two, maybe three. I don't know if I can name it, name them. It depends <laughs> but, yeah, what uh, you're using them for. I mean, yeah. if it's for work purposes. So yeah. yeah, so so for work purposes, no, I'm I'm using usually LinkedIn, which is really good platform for sharing the informations, with sharing the the, the, mm. the dissemination of our result results, of you know when we are trying to you know, we we know some kind of job advert advertisements or mm -hmm. adverts. We usually we how we post it on LinkedIn and because you know in general I have a few followers you know that there, there are some people who who respond on that and it's a really good platform for dissemination to, mm. to knowledge sharing but mm. but again it's very fast quick you know just a short message mm. without any very detailed information. Mm. Yeah, it's very uh, superficial. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not spending, you know, hours on Facebook. You know, last time, yesterday, I checked, you know, the statistics, something like three, four minutes a day. Mm-hmm. So it's just nothing, uh, mm-hmm. which is because what I found a few years ago, that, you know, sometimes it, it, it could take you one an hour, two hours, three hours to mm-hmm. swipe, you know, the, <laughs> the Facebook and uh, informations <laughs> and then look. And uh, look what what's happening. So no, I'm trying to avoid that kind of no, not wasting the time, but spending the time mm. for a, for a, for a, for a, uh, for a, uh, that kind of platforms. But I'm trying not to spend a lot of time for doing that because three three years ago I found myself spending a lot of time on on, on the social media, mm. and it wasn't productive. It wasn't very efficient. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather you know spend you know, a very short time. I mean, how much of your how much of your working time is spent? Because I would imagine that you will need to do quite a lot of networking, you know, because you're in a specialized area and it yeah. will be, you know, a finite pool of people. But you need to be seen, you need to be present. So how much uh, and you need to make connections for other projects and other things. So how much time is spent, say, at conferences or doing other forms of networking to kind of meet other people in the industry so in on average you know in a day something like one hour mm. one hour it, it, it it's a time that i'm spending you know on the making the connections with the other industrial partners or mm. asking about something from mm. them or or having some kind of introduction you know calls to the people that i don't know mm. and i would like to you know uh, present more of our projects or that kind of stuff Mm. The conferences, so uh, I, I, to be honest, no, I, my last conference that I was in, uh, it was pre-COVID. I, mm. I haven't been to, to, to the conference since 2019, end of 2019, something like that. But I know I, I need to start, you know, writing the, the conference papers just to be more visible, definitely. Maybe not visible, but to disseminate the results much wider. But of course, conferences are, very narrow with a very mm. narrow audience as well. So podcasts, podcasts. <laughs> to be honest, one of my friends told me that you know I have quite a good voice for a podcasting. Mm. I have no idea if that's true or not, but yes, they told me that just go for it, and mm. I would need to. I would love to make the first YouTube video one day and just mm. post it and see what happens. <laughs> mm. Okay, so uh, we've done the social media. Uh, we'll do Brexit. So since we've left the EU, has that changed your work at all? And if it uh, has, has it been for the better or for the worse? So uh, I'm not. Im- so I'm not an employer. So I'm just research associate, mm-hmm. and I'm here in the UK over for the last seven years. So mm-hmm. I'm settled here. Mm-hmm. So I have settled status. So it didn't change much. Apart from from the fact that you know, if I'm crossing the border, I have to show the passport rather than mm-hmm. ID, and it didn't change. It didn't change. I suppose a lot me. of your research is based in the UK on UK, and yeah. you're not buying materials yourself. I mean, was there much interaction, like research sharing, with Europe? Were you involved in any of that before? So, so the, the, with knowledge sharing and uh, that kind of things, you no, know, it doesn't. It didn't. In, it, or the Brexit didn't influence on that. Uh, mm. So we just go. It's not impacted funding streams no. or anything for you? Funding streams, yes. 
but no, I'm, I didn't apply for the Europe, European projects. I don't know how it influenced on the European project that I would mm -hmm. like to apply from the UK. Definitely influenced, but I'm not entirely sure how, because no, as I said, no, I, I, I didn't apply for the European funded projects yet, mm. only UK focused. And my research in general is UK focused, so, so, so uh, nothing to, to say much about it. Mm. Regarding, you know, the, because we are trying to find, you know, the new researchers for our projects or, or we are posting lots of different, you know, job advertisements for, for the projects. If you have the people either from the European Union or from outside the European Union, you know, you have to apply for all visa, visa yeah. things and yeah. other things. So it's much complicated, but you know, I don't have much experience on that. I just, mm. I was told that, you know, it's longer process yeah. and much more expensive. Yeah. But you know, I don't, I cannot say any more detailed things. Yeah. So if you could change any three things about your work, any, any three things, so you've got carte blanche, it can be as realistic or as fantastical as you want. What would you change? Any three things about your job? That's really interesting question. To be honest, I cannot find anything, to, to be honest now, mm. that I, can, I would like to change if I can change something. Yeah, I really like the job that I'm doing now, and mm. I like the work with with the people who I work with. I like the work arrangements. Uh, yeah, I've got one for you. Which one? Discovering carbon-free concrete and cement. <laughs> there is carbon-free concrete. All right, but at scale, you know what I mean. Like yes, you know, of course, finding yeah. the key. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so if if you are looking at the research. I would like to find the answer for one question, okay. which is how we can avoid consumption, which means that, uh, that, that is my, my, one of the previous you know, thoughts that I, I had you know, a couple of minutes ago. So what we should do to increase or to provide the service, mm -hmm. whatever service means, so you know, buildings, infrastructure, and so on, at the same time, using as less resources and as less carbon as possible mm. to get to the point that we don't use anything. What do we should change? So I'm not entirely sure whether it's technical problem. Mm. I'm quite sure that it's non-technical <laughs> issue, mm. but I haven't found any. You know, that's not my expertise. But I know I would thought that it's for social government country or even spiritual you know like yeah. how we how we consume and I, I, i'm reading how you said that as kind of building things to last rather yeah. than just build something because we can build a thing we've got money for it and make it last 10 years and then we'll knock it down and we'll build another thing yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. or we or we just build something with loads of extra things on to make it look nice and charge more money for it but we don't need the extra things yeah exactly exactly so 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 those kind of aspects, you know, of last three or four years, three years, I was starting to, to, to think, you know, what, what we should change and how we, what we should target our efforts to make a change. Because, you know, as I said, you know, it, it is quite interesting that the average car lifetime of the car in the UK is seven years, something. Mm. 
and in continental Europe or no, in if I looked at the statistics when I look at the statistics in in Poland or in in, in Lithuania or Lithuania, it's twenty years. Mm. So and the average, you know, lifetime of the washing machine, I don't know what's the lifetime of washing machine here. It's two or three years, whereas in other yeah. countries it's twice as long. I always say that no, we have a technology that allows us to land on the Mars. We have only almost unlimited you know, technology oh. uh, in our hands mm. and, and knowledge. Knowledge is great, of course, but the knowledge doesn't change the behaviors, <laughs> the behavior, and the, the needs and the desires. Mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is what I would like. To, this is the, the, one of the questions that I would like to answer some some someday and it's not about change it's just about yeah maybe that is the change if i have a blank sheet of paper and i would like to change one thing i would like to just make a click and change all the behavioral and things <laughs> just to start to to, to to live at the same level or in the higher level yeah the, the higher you mean, level. yeah like move up a standard rather than sort of yeah going down but you know yeah avoid. level up as they would say in the media <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> but so, actually it's a really interesting question mm. yeah I, I i need to think about it <laughs> good well at least i've given you something to think about other than all the thinking that you're already doing <laughs> uh right so i'm gonna wrap it up there oh no I'm, I'll, I'll turn it over to you just in case if there's anything that we haven't discussed that you'd like to mention or anything that you want to highlight or you know if you want to signpost anything over to you thank you um Hmm. What what I would like to, th- I was thinking about that, that kind of question, and and I would like to promote one thing, which is living slower mm. and having more you know outdoors activities. Because you know if you make yourself tired, your thinking is better, mm. and you are doing much much more wise wisely decisions. Mm. <laughs> Mm. wise decisions i think that that this is my experience so just slowing down I slow think. down enjoy yeah. things yeah. exactly exactly don't rush uh, because no it, it, yeah it, it's it can help definitely because now i think what i found is we don't have a time to think mm. so having well, that that's kind of, yeah, uh, like with COVID, I mean, we've, we've kind of had this discussion. I've had this discussion with in a few interviews in terms of like, okay, that was the time to slow down and think, but it was also a huge big event where loads of stuff was going on, but then also nothing was going on. And then we restarted all of this and it's all yeah. chaos again. And it's like, where's the, ta- where's the thinking time for that? Where, what have we actually, like, what have we processed from that? And we, yeah. But the media's just gone, no, we're on to 10 other things now. Yeah, yeah. So, so definitely the, the main message is slow, slowing down or slow down. And it doesn't, so it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that you have to work slower or you know, move slower. It's just to... Give yourself a time just to rethink what is very important. I think mm. that, that that's the, the that's the that's the one thing which it's it's quite important and it relates both to the to the work, mm. to the private life, mm. to every single aspect of, of our lives. And, and I think the second thing is just to think what exactly you need to 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 have, mm. you know, for for you know. 
when you live, you know, when you, you know have the, the house or something, what exactly you need for living. For mm. living, you know, it's it means that what exactly you need to give you happiness. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> go for a walk with a dog, go, go, go hiking, you know. We we live, you know, I live in, in, in Leeds and it's really brilliant to go to the Yorkshire Dales and just to hike somewhere or to, to climb somewhere, you know, to to forget about the you know, normal yeah, everyday, space, everyday yeah, life. Okay. Yeah. Go outside, look at some greenery, sit down. Yeah, exactly. Watch the birds and the bees for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. So this is it. Thank you again to Mikhail for being my guest. Thanks again to all my guests. And thanks to you, Leeds, for being my subject. And of course, most of all, thank you to you, my dear listener. So, Leeds, if you think you have something interesting to teach me about your job, business, cause or industry, then get in touch with me to be a guest on this show. You could advertise your business or cause, tell everyone how great your company is, or talk about that awful boss, or even a great one. They exist. Bosses or not, if you live or work in Leeds, or you are from Leeds and you work elsewhere, then I'd love to hear about what you do, how it affects you, what you want it to do, and what you would like to do differently. You can contact and follow this show on Twitter at WorkingHours3 and on Instagram at WorkingHoursPodLeads. Please do chuck in anything you can to help the show grow. Go to ko-fi.com forward slash working hours and join me there for a pound a month. Or you can make a one-off donation of whatever amount. Uh, you can also go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod to support working hours again from as little as a pound a month. Why not be super awesome and join both? Do something new and something different. Remember to like, share, follow and subscribe to working hours. That's me. Cheers, ears. Take care out there and be kind to each other, Leeds. Working Hours is produced, recorded, edited and published by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org. Please like Western Studios Leeds on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash western underscore studios underscore leads and on linkedin linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash western hyphen studios leads are you considering taking the plunge into podcasts or audio content then think western studios for support advice and guidance on getting it made at western studios you work with a real life learner who is actually in leads not a piece of software not a course of articles or a series of live chats and video courses but me, a person in physical place-based reality. If you want to work with me to make your podcast or any digital audio content in Leeds, whether it's for your own cause, your publicity campaigns, to promote your products, increase your sales, or just to create your own passion projects, then get in touch with me, Western Studios, now. Don't wade through vapid articles and videos and podcasts about how to make podcasts by disembodied virtual people on the web get on with making your podcast now and then when it gets hard and expensive and it all goes wrong which it will then call western studios to make your podcast with you or even for you western studios will take on your podcast boring time-consuming and painful admin recording editing transcription whatever tell me about your podcasting pain points and i can make it all better for you i feel your pain for a charge i will share it remember podcast work is work 
Leeds businesses, Leeds campaigns, Leeds brands. Got an inkling that you'd like a podcast but don't know where to start? Contact Western Studios at makemypodcast at western-studios.com and we'll start making your podcast straight away. The first hour of arranged consultation and pre-production time is free. £25 an hour after that for editing, recording, production. I can also arrange hefty discounts for the right projects. So tell me your idea and your budget and I'll tell you what I can do for you. What do you have to lose? Time, that's what. Time is running out. The best time to make a podcast was 10 years ago. The second best time is right now. Writers in Yorkshire, what are you doing with your lives? Hopefully you're writing. Well, I know there are listeners out there who want to hear great original writing performed as audio content that is about and for and has been made in Leeds. How do I know this? Because I'm one of them loiners what wants it. Help me make your old screenplays, unpublished novels, unperformed plays, stories, poems and performances, whatever you got, baby, and make it as podcast content. Is your work arty, salacious, pulpy, strange? Good. Is it unfinished? Good. I can help you with that too. I can work with you to find actors, musicians and voiceover artists and quickly realise your projects. I get practice making the shows and you get a finished, performed and published version of your writing. Save yourself the hassle and the headache of making your podcasts on your own by working with me instead.